transition to our sermon time, and uh, we've been doing uh, reading through scripture uh, to start off each sermon. Today we're going to do it a little different. I want to invite you, if you'd like to follow along on John chapter 9, we're actually going to have the reading on the screen for you as well. And today we're doing it different because we're doing all of John chapter 9. It's a long passage, and uh, we thought we would try some different things and just show different ways of reading. And this summer, when I was on sabbatical, I was on this long road trip, and um, I was, you know, listening to podcasts, music, all kinds of stuff, but I wanted to listen to scripture, and so I found an audio Bible, and I accidentally found this one on Spotify, and I was like, this is, I loved it, and I was able to listen to it over and over again, and today the reading is going to be from this audio Bible, and the story behind it's really cool. It's a group of people from inner city Chicago who wanted to reach their community, and they have a Spanish version and an English version of this. It's a little different than what you might be used to in North Coastal uh, San Diego. But it's a really cool missional tool, and it's a great way. So we're going to have our scripture reading a little different today. Follow along on the screen, and then we'll get to the message. Chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seen. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know. He replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked him, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough. Ask him. 
So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do? They asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Spiritual blindness. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe. The man said, he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. All right. When's the last time you were tapping your feet while reading the Bible, like to the beat, huh? Uh, I love this story. What a great story of transformation. And a story that comes in Scripture right after John chapter 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he is talking about being the light of the world. And then we have a story right after that where somebody literally goes from physical darkness to light. And we see the power of the light of the world on display, eyes being opened. Today we're going to look at this idea of what it means to learn to see. Do you ever have those things that when, once you, you didn't used to see, and then once you finally saw something, you couldn't unsee it? You know, sometimes that happens, you get a new car, and all of a sudden you look around and everyone in your town drives that car when they didn't before you had it. You just notice it everywhere. Uh, or a new community. I, I, uh, yesterday, I spent um, 12 hours. One of our sons is into powerlifting. Um, he grew, growing up, he'd always look at my physique and be like, Dad, I got to be like you and start working out. So, um, so he got into powerlifting, and uh, we went to his competition yesterday. So I had spent 12 hours in kind of one of those gym rat gyms where there's like club music going all day long, and you're just going like, come on, yeah, go! And that was, that was my day yesterday. But there's a whole sub-community of people, a subculture of people where that's their world. And, and I, I, I didn't really know they were there, but I know they're there now. And I'm going to see him around town. I'm like, I know you. I know your type. I know where you belong. Now, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But there's things like that all over that we don't notice day after day. A few years ago, there was this meme kind of circulate. I don't even know if it was a meme. It was just a picture circulating online. And it caused a lot of controversy because some people would see it and see one thing. And the other people would see it and it looked different. And it was this image. You guys remember this image? Any of you remember it? 
Uh, if, if you don't, well, here it is. And um, I've learned that I don't think it's coming up quite the same on our screens here. But when you look at this, there was big controversy because some people see this and they see white and gold dress. And others see it and it is black and blue. But literally, does anyone see the white and gold today on this screen? Yeah, some of you. All right, good. Yes. So some of you literally look at this, and it's white and gold, and others see blue and black. One of our tech guys, Russell, back there today, he said, that's always been white and gold to me until today. So he now has seen the truth. (laughs) This real dress is actually a blue and black dress, but for some reason, this image, some people see it as white and gold. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. If you saw the, a picture of the, uh, someone wearing it in, the kind of, in different light, you'd say, oh, okay. But isn't that strange that sometimes we can see the same thing, but we don't see the same thing. Today, this story about Jesus, the, the question that I kind of wrestled with with this story is, how can some people see this power on display of who Jesus is, and, and they come to different conclusions? One is he is the son of God, and the other is he must be a sinner. We can't follow him. Until they truly see who he was, they could be staring at something and missing it altogether. And so today what we want to do is look at what's the process that we go through as we learn to see the light of the world, Jesus. And then the question is, what does that mean for us? Knowing the light of the world, knowing Jesus, and and coming into full realization of who he is, today we're going to look at three things. It's how he actually, the light of the world will give us hope, will give us new significance and a new perspective and how that plays out in our lives. So even if you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember, we want to kind of re-examine those ideas of the light and how do we respond to the light of Jesus and, and to be careful that we're not not seeing what is there. And so that's what we're gonna do. Um, join me as we jump back into this text. I'm not gonna read it all again. You've heard it. But starting in John chapter 9, the story begins. It says, as Jesus passes by, he sees a man who has been born blind from birth. And the disciples asked him this. An interesting question, isn't it? They asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Notice that they didn't ask, hey, why was he born blind? What happened? They are starting with an assumption, which is very common in first century, and even actually to this day. The assumption was somebody did something wrong that caused this man to be born blind. And so they asked, who sinned? Was it his parents who sinned and so God's punishing them by giving them a blind son? Or was this son born as a sinner knowing that he'd be sinful so God said, well, you're going to be blind as punishment? That was really at the core of their question. And, And Jesus actually kind of doesn't even address that necessarily. He just says, well, no, neither. You're going to see the power of God on display in this guy's life. Let me just side note this question really quick um, because this speaks to almost a bigger question of a worldview of why do bad things happen or why do people who don't deserve something have bad things happen to them? Whose fault is it? Now, at a high level, I could say it is the result of sin because we live in a world from Genesis chapter 3 on where 
sin of mankind brought the curse into the world, meaning a curse is now we experience death and sickness and heartache and pain, and we're in a broken world. So in one sense, sin does result in suffering, but not as God's punishment to you. It's because we're out of the blessing of God in that one on a high level. That's why the world's broken. Why evil happens is because sin entered in and broke that relationship between man and God. And the whole story of scripture is God's redemptive plan of making things right and and culminating in Jesus and, and Jesus once and for all conquers sin and death and gives us a future hope where we will no longer experience any of that anymore. Amen? Where sin and death and suffering and division and relational conflict and a spouse saying one thing and the other one hearing the other thing, all of that is done. It's gone in heaven. No more of that. And so... Yes, we live in a world marred by pain, sickness, and sin, and that is, or pain, sickness, and death, and that is because it's a broken world. Now, in this case, God, I, I do want to say, though, let's be careful that we don't have the false assumption that when you face hardship, that it's because you did something wrong or someone else did something wrong. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes you can make a decision that causes you hardship. That's called natural consequences, right? You can do something really dumb and experience hardship and say, why is God punishing me? Like, well, you might not have wanted to do what you just did. (laughs) There's natural consequences. But the thought that God is going to make someone blind as a punishment for something you've done doesn't make sense in the kingdom of God. So in God's upside-down kingdom, though, hardship, pain, suffering, God often uses that to show off his glory. And he uses it often to bring a, different, a deeper meaning of hope and purpose into the world. Now that can sound, that's not always the best thing to say to a friend who's in suffering, right? Well, God's going to use it for good. He might and he wants to, but sometimes you just need to say, I love you and I'm sorry you're going through that and I'm here for you. And later they can grow and see, often we don't know how God's using it to way down the road. And let me tell you this, here's the deep biblical truth. Sometimes you will never see resolution until you're on this side of eternity. Until you face the maker in heaven, sometimes you say, why did that never get resolved? Some things aren't for us to figure out. But we trust our sovereign God in the end. So that's the side note. Let me get back to the main note because that question comes up in here. We could have made one whole sermon about the problem of suffering, but we chose not to for this. So Jesus says, I want you to know that you're going to see the works of God on display in this blind man. Continue on. And then Jesus says, we must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as day, because night is coming when no one will be able to work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So let's keep that in mind. So Jesus makes some sort of clay or mud using his saliva. Great, right? Hey, if you're blind, you're saying, I don't care what you do, do it. (laughs) Um, He didn't see him actually spit and make it, so maybe that helped in that case, I don't know. But but so he makes this mud. Now, there's a lot of debate about why did he do that? What's the purpose of it? Um, Honestly, it's speculation, whatever we come up with. Some people say there was belief in like medicinal value or maybe it's the touch of Jesus. Um, there's another kind of interesting way. There's some hard Greek in there that doesn't make a ton of sense. In one part, there's this possessive that almost sounds like Jesus put his mud onto the guy's eye. Some commentators would say that this is actually going all the way back to the creator and creation narrative. 
that in the book of John, we see that Jesus is portrayed as the creator who was there at the beginning of time. All things came into being through him. And there's this beautiful kind of picture here where Jesus is interacting with his creation, a blind man. And he makes this mud. And it recalls the story of Genesis chapter 2 when God forms mankind out of the dust, the mud of the ground, and he forms mankind. And so some say it's this imagery that Jesus is trying to symbolically say, I'm the creator touching my creation which I kind of like that interpretation. Um, it could have just been because it's part of how Jesus wanted to do it, too. That could be that. So, so he, he puts the mud on his eyes, goes to tell him to wash. He washes. He can see. And then notice what happens right away. His neighbors got into a debate about whether it was actually him. How would you like that? They're like, wait, isn't that little Joey? I thought he was blind. I, well, he is, that can't be Joey, because Joey's blind. And they literally got in a debate about whether it is him. Kind of an interesting thought. Sometimes when you're touched by Jesus, you're transformed so much that people around you might not recognize. That they might look at you and say, I, wait, you? Is that the one? But Jesus has the power to transform your life so much that it could be unrecognizable to your past. What a beautiful picture of what's going on. So he's transformed. They debate, is this actually him? And then finally he said, yeah, it is me. I am little Joey. I was born blind. I've never been able to see. And notice what he says about Jesus. He says, the man called Jesus. So he starts off with this belief in Jesus that is the man called Jesus. That's it. That's all I know about him. I don't even know what he looks like yet. Because he sent me to wash, I wash, I can see he wasn't there. The man called Jesus did this to me. And we see the first thing about when we encounter the light, what the light can do in our lives, and it's going to show up through the rest of this story. When we encounter the light of the Jesus, we're, we're faced with this reality that the light gives us a new hope. It gives us hope in this world. Now, what do I mean by that? See, all throughout Scripture, there's this belief that what we experience is this kind of theological belief that the kingdom of God is now, and it is also yet to come. We know that Jesus said the kingdom of God is now, but it, we're not fully experiencing it until the end of time, when at the end of days, he brings the new heavens and new earth will fully experience the kingdom. But now we have a glimpse of the transforming power. We have a glimpse of new life that God is bringing to us. Any of us in Christ, you have a glimmer of hope of what it means to truly live without sin. Now, we still live with sin, and we still struggle with guilt and shame and all of those things, but in Christ, we expose to the light, we get that first glimpse of what grace really is like. And we get a taste of it. We get just enough to give us hope that if this is how good it is now, just wait until it's fully done. When I'm standing in the presence of God, and I don't he doesn't remember my sins, and I believe him once and for all. So the new hope that we have when we're exposed to the light is that we get a taste of what the future can be. And in this man's case, it's a physical healing that gives him a taste of the new heavens and new earth. There's a hope that now he lives with this belief that says, what I'm experiencing now is not all there is. Jesus often touches us in a spiritual and sometimes practically, physically aspect. He wants to give us a, 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 this benefit that we can now believe in him for what is to come. So the light gives us this idea of hope. 
How many of you would agree the world could use some more hope? I mean, we're living in a time where it feels like there's so much going on and it's hard to hope. But if one group of people in the world should be people of hope, it is people who are saved and redeemed and who believe in Jesus Christ. We need to be champions of hope. We need to not be dispellers of despair. We don't need to be selling despair and doom. We need to be championing hope that is found in Christ. Because that's what we have. And sometimes it's hard. When we live in a world where we see morality seeming to be spinning out of control, I wasn't alive in first century. I heard it's pretty bad, but I know I'm alive now, and it seems pretty bad. It seems like the morality when we have um, sometimes government leaders and school boards telling parents what they sh- the morality our kids should have, like that, that's just not, that's not the way it should be. And despair can kick in. And we have an election near year next year, and I hope that we can prayerfully engage and, and make changes. That's the best we can do. We can pray and we can engage. We have a, a political system that seems kind of broken. Maybe. Anyone agree with that? <laughs> you can look at it and feel like, oh, where's the hope in this? We look around. We have wars in Europe. We have war in the Middle East now again with Israel. We talked about and prayed for it last week. We can live in a world then where all of this wants to war against the hope in our souls and that's what the enemy wants to do. But Christians, friends, we do not live in a world where what we see right now will ever give us the hope. Our hope is of what's coming. Our hope is what Jesus has already done and is going to continue to do. And so we, we live in a world that's spinning but with hope that this is not the end of the story. And even when we, uh, I'm gonna do a little soapbox for a moment. In times like this, I know a lot of us like to look at prophecy, especially with wars in, the, in Israel and the Middle East. We want to say, what does this mean? Does it mean something? And I'd say, probably it does mean something. And uh, we're looking at uh, putting together maybe some midweek teaching on different views of what it could mean. But I, want to, I just want to step back and make this comment about uh, prophecy. Because every time there's conflict in the Middle East, it's on our mind. And it's fun to read and study and figure out. When I was a youth pastor, I'd always ask the students, what do you want to talk about? End times and sex. So that was like, that's the key to a good youth ministry right there. That's it. And so it's, it's, we want to know about it, right? But I just want to give you this. Apocalyptic rit- literature, literature speaking about the end times, in scripture was written to give people hope in a time of despair. That's what it's written for. Now, Revelation starts and says, I'm going to tell you about things that are to come. And it was to a group of people. And so there are things that are still to come that are written in scripture that we will never fully figure out, probably till it happens and we say, oh, that's what it meant. And it's good to study it and to think about it and all of that. But I want to tell you this. If we get caught up in trying to figure out who's, what, which leader, which country, what's happening now, what does this mean, which verse is this, those are fun to do, do it, please, I love that. But don't put your hope in that. Apocalyptic literature is meant to say the world feels like it's full with darkness, but light will win. And light always wins. And there's hope. And look at, Revelation is written and described that there are hundreds of thousands of saints who were martyred for their faith. Their hope was not in the world they were living in. It was in what was to come. And so it's saying, hey, yeah, things might get bad, but they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. 
meaning the blood of Christ gave them power to overcome and the message that they brought. If we want to know an end times thing that we should know about, it's that the message of Jesus needs to get out to more and more people. I know that for sure too. And so that's coming. Now, we do want to do some teaching on it to let you kind of think about it, but I will tell you this, a lot of it's probably going to be kind of right and kind of wrong. <laughs> but one thing we know for sure that is right is Jesus wins. Please, church, know that Jesus wins. No matter how bad it feels, this is not all there is. Take that home with you, if nothing else. Soapbox, off it, back. Okay, sermon, here we go. We're told this in Hebrews chapter 6. Said this, that God gave us his unchanging promise. So he who have fled may take hold of the hope that's set before us and that we may be greatly encouraged. Why? Because we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain in the temple where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf and became our high priest forever. Friends, our hope, the anchor of our soul is in Jesus and the finished work of Christ. What he's done for us. Do you feel like your hope is anchored right now? Or is it floating around? And if you're grasping for hope, we need to turn back to the light of the world, to Jesus, over and over again, and find our hope in him and what he has done. Amen? Amen it later. Okay, here we go. Back to the story. The next chunk is verses 13 through 35. The blind man now goes on a sort of informal, informal trial. They brought him to the Pharisees because they said, wait a minute, he's been healed. So Pharisees, what do you guys think? The religious leaders, what do you think about this man who's been changed? And the Pharisees said, well, he got healed at his, on the Sabbath. So this man, in verse 16, this man, Jesus, must not be from God because he healed him on the Sabbath. That seems kind of narrow-minded, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, I know he performed this miracle, but it was on the wrong day of the week. No, not going to happen. They felt like they were so convicted that he broke the law by healing on the Sabbath that he couldn't be from God. The blind man looks at him and says, well, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a dissension among the leaders. And they said again to the man who was born blind, well, what do you say about him? And notice what he said. What do you say about Jesus since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. I love that the first time we hear the blind man talk about Jesus, he said, the man named Jesus. The next time he talks about him, he says, he is a prophet. He is sent by God. There's something special about him. There is power in him. The light is transforming his perspective. The Jews did not believe it about him. They didn't believe that he'd been born blind, so they bring in his parents. <laughs> what does that look like? Like, hey, uh, is this your kid? Is Joey yours? Yes. Was he really born blind? I mean, really. Yes. But notice that what the parents say when they said, well, how did that happen? The parents said this. Well, we know he is our son, in verse 20. We know he was born blind, but how he can now see, we don't know. We don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Because... They were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. So the leaders already said, anyone who follows Jesus is going to be excommunicated from our community. 
So they say, we, we don't want that. Ask him, he's old enough. We don't know how old he was. He could have been a teenager, could have been a, an older adult. We don't know. But either way, they, they didn't want to answer. They just said, yeah, that's him. So they go back to the blind man and they say, give glory to God. Now what this is, is this is actually legal language saying, hey, you're under oath. You're under oath now, so make sure God knows he's listening. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner, and the blind man said, whether he is a sinner, I don't know, but one thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. I love that. Sometimes the most profound, deepest truths in Scripture are in simple statements. Notice how profound this guy's testimony was. He had great deep theology, didn't he? He knew all the works of God. He knew all the scripture, knew everything, right? All he knew was, I don't know, but what I do know is I couldn't see, now I can see. Sometimes our testimony, our story about what Jesus has done in our lives can be that simple. Sometimes we get so caught up in my story's not good enough. Now this guy has a good story. He was blind, he can see. Let's be honest, that's a good story. But sometimes we think our story's not good when the truth is a story of encountering Jesus is always amazing. Some of you, this is your story, your testimony. I was born in a Christian family for parents who loved me and raised me in the ways of the Lord and I've kind of always believed and I experienced the forgiveness of Jesus and I have life in him. And you think, well, that's not as good as being addicted to drugs. (laughs) I wish I had more hardship so I had a better story. No, your story's awesome. That you had people around you who raised you in the ways of the Lord. That's amazing. Simple, profound truth. Don't downplay the profoundness of your story in Jesus. Now, some of you do have that, hey, I overcame addiction. I came from this kind of home. All of those things, that's great. Those are good stories too. We love to see the power of God on display there, but the power of God is also on display in those of you who've always been in a home where you've been taught about Jesus and you love him. That is an amazing story in a culture like ours to meet Jesus that way. And your story matters. I love the simplicity of his story. I don't know. I was blind, I can see. Jesus changed me. If you can remember that, that preaches. Jesus changed me. So he tells them that, and then they say, well, what did he do to you? Verse 27, one of my favorites in scripture, right? I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become one of his disciples, do you? (laughs) What did that look like? That had been great. So then they spoke abusively to him and said, you are his disciples, but we follow Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for Jesus, we don't know. The blind man says, well, that's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. God wouldn't listen to sinners, but if someone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since the beginning of time, has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind? We don't know where that comes from or that was true. That's just what he's saying. And they say, you were born in sins and you're teaching us. And notice this, they put him out. This is actually, um, this whole phrase in here that we find in a couple places is excommunicated or it's ex-synagogue. They actually literally kicked him out of the community of faith that he belonged to. They said, you no longer fit in. The first thing that we learned about the light when we ex- are exposed to it is that it gives us new hope as we think of the future. The second thing is this, it gives us significance. 
The more we encounter the light and trust in who Jesus is, we have a new significance. Because get this, this man was a beggar. He was blind. He was rejected. He finally gets his sight and has an opportunity to fit in. The very first thing he does after being able to fit in is he's faced with a choice, worship Jesus and get kicked out of the community that's it. Like you, you either reject Jesus and belong or you get kicked out and worship him. He finally fits in and he says, Jesus has changed me so much. My significance is in who he is. And he's kicked out, faced with the choice. See, because the light will teach us that our significance isn't in the acceptance and approval of the people around us. It's not in what we can accomplish or what we do or how many people say, well, that's amazing. Or look at your wealth. Look at your vehicles. Look at your house. Look at your perfect family. No, our significance is in Christ and what he does in our lives. This blind man was encountered with this. Do I both fit in and stay in my community or do I follow Jesus and risk rejection? The light teaches us where our significance is found. Next, verse 36 through 41, I love this. Right after he's kicked out, Jesus heard that he had been put out, and upon finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Essentially, he's saying, do you believe in Son of Man is the Messiah, the, God's anointed one, the Son of God who is now, the, that the Jews have been waiting for? And he says, do you believe in that person? Do you believe who we, or scripture's pointing to, he says, tell me who he is and I will believe in him. And he believes in him, worships him. And it started when it said Jesus heard he had been put out. Friends, I believe that Jesus is what we call the hound of heaven. He will pursue those that he loves. Those of us, you have loved ones in your family who maybe have walked away from the faith. Our confidence is in that Jesus will chase after the one who walks away because he wants to bring them back into relationship with him. I love here as this guy's rejected from his community of faith, Jesus hears about it and finds him. And what a cool encounter. Jesus probably showed up and said, hey, what's up? I'm Jesus. It's like, you're Jesus? Uh, oh, man, I get to see you. And Jesus essentially said, do you believe that I am the son of God? He said, yes, I want to believe. And so now the blind man believes that he is the son of God. The story ends. Jesus says, I come into the world for judgment, meaning that basically how we respond to him is our own judgment on us. That those who, may, who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Meaning, essentially saying, those who think that they see, when they reject me, they're actually becoming blind. They're blind to the truth. When those who haven't seen before, they see me, and now their eyes are open. And the Pharisees say, you're not talking about us. And Jesus kind of ends with a great little line. Oh, well, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now that you maintain that you see, your sin remains. In other words, you see me, you clearly know who I am, but you still refuse to look at me, your sin's on you, pal. <laughs> you should know, of all people, you should know who I am, but you reject me. So the blind man leaves, worshiping the Son of God. So the light gives us hope for the future and today, 
gives us new significance and light changes our perspective. When we walk through life in the light of Jesus, our perspective is just different. We should be able to face things that come our way in the world and we keep anchoring in Christ and where some are panicking and overcome with fear, we can say, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but our hope is not in this, it's in Jesus. As the worship team starts making their way back up, there's one other thing that the light will do to us as it gives us hope, gives us our significance, it changes our perspective the more we walk with Jesus. And again with that, friends, if you've been walking with Christ for a long time, I hope your worldview changes as time goes on. It should change the more you walk and the more you get to know Jesus. It, you will be transformed. And at your own pace, the Spirit's working in you. We're not judging each other for the way we see things. Uh, knowing that the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, transforming us, it'll change your perspective. And the last thing that happens when we encounter the light is the light leads us to worship. The light of the world. It should lead us to worship. Just as a blind man, his simple testimony was this. I was blind and now I see. Why did he see? Was it because he did something fantastic? Was it because he earned God's favor? No, it was God's grace poured out on him. And when we encounter the light of the world, the amazing grace of Jesus, our hearts respond in worship. And we're going to do that now. Uh, we're going to start off with a song, just being recall the truth about grace. And we're going to invite you to join in and worship any way you want. And if you choose after a while to stand, you can stand, raise your hands, reflect. But let's respond to the light of the world. Really listen. God, where do I need you? Where do I need to be reminded of your light in my world? What do you need to release? What do you need to turn back to him? All of those things, let it result in worship when we truly see. So let's see. Mm-hmm.